Welcome to the Antler Up Podcast, brought to you by Spartan Forge. Black Rifle Coffee Company is a veteran-owned coffee company serving premium coffee to people who love America. Fall is upon us, and there's no better way to get fueled up before hunt than with some Black Rifle Coffee. Coffee legitimately tastes better after a day in the woods or after a successful hunt. Fuel your next adventure and purchase at www.blackriflecoffee.com and use code ANTLER at checkout to save 20% off your purchase and or with your first coffee club subscription, Black Rifle Coffee. Last year was a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers. We partnered with social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women by hunters and anglers just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. And Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Oh, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit and download GoWild.com to get started. Tethered is a team of saddle hunting fanatics with a passionate addiction to whitetail hunting. Designing and engineering products to be a more efficient and confident hunter, Tethered produces the most mobile, stealthy, and safest elevated hunting gear on the planet. Built by saddle hunters for the saddle hunter. Head over to tethernation.com to see for yourself what exactly I'm talking about. America's Best Bowstrings has been manufacturing high-quality custom bowstrings in the USA since 2006. America's Best Bowstrings strives on the commitment to never end the search for perfection, and this has been the driving force behind the company. Innovative products for every archer out there. Go create a custom set today at americasbestbowstrings.com. Our friends over at Half Rack just released some awesome gear and they were great enough to give our listeners 10% off their order. All you have to do is click on the link in the podcast bio or the link on our link tree on Instagram and that will give you your percentage off at checkout. So get some of the highest quality hunting and outdoor accessories that will help you prosper in the field. Half Rack is aiming to be mindful of the past, conservation conscious and evolve into the future. Forged in combat and tailored for hunters, Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly innovative and science-based products that save the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You can now take Spartan Forge with you wherever you go by downloading the mobile app. Enjoy deer prediction analysis, weather forecasts, historical data, detailed journaling, as well as crisp maps. It's time for you to make the most of your season and let Spartan Forge do that for you. Use code ANTLERUP to save 20%. Check it out over at spartanforge.ai. 
What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Antler Up Podcast. We are on episode 113, and on today's episode, Dimitri and I, we were joined by Indiana native Kyle Morrow. Kyle runs more innovations where he does some awesome 3D printing on archery products and a whole lot more with it. It was a great pleasure having Kyle on the podcast to talk about his 2021 hunting season. And Kyle shared stories about hunting Indiana and North Dakota. We dove into topics about mobile setups, controlling buck fever, and a whole lot more. So enjoy this fun episode and antler up. Kyle, what, Kyle, before we, we get into conversations and go down a rabbit hole, I feel like I've done a pretty bad job just because of a, we've been having some pretty cool guests just talking about certain things. Tell us uh, and the listeners, like, who you are, where you live, talk about, obviously, more innovations, and we'll we'll dive into that, but just, you know, give a quick rundown of, of what your baseball card looked like. No problem, yeah. So, Kyle Morrow, located here, northwest Indiana. Uh, about 30 minutes or so from from Lake Michigan, so really close to Michigan border uh, and Chicago. So I can uh, get to quite a few places pretty quickly here in this uh, little region. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess uh, I don't know. I guess I'll start with hunting a little bit since that's what we're on, right? Yeah. On the podcast. Yeah. Heck yeah. Um, I I went uh, typical. You know, went with my dad as a kid. Um, I actually started. I shot a bow when I was really little. I actually still have it. Um, elementary school, uh, I was shooting, uh, you know, backyard at hay bale. And um, I think for Christmas, I got a, was a oh, what was it? Was it a Darton? I think I got an old Darton back in the day. And then I outgrew that one, never could hunt with it. And then um, kind of sports and high school and farming because I grew up on a farm. Uh, just kind of stepped away from hunting and archery for a while. And then as soon as I graduated high school, it was like game on. <laughs> I uh, picked up the picked up the muzzleloader because uh, we didn't have rifle hunting here in Indiana for year until, I don't know, was it six, seven years ago or something like that. And so muzzleloader hunted for quite a while. And then uh, I think it was, man, seven, seven or eight years ago. Finally got back in uh, bow hunting. I uh, picked up a missions uh, mission venture bow. Shot that for a long time, and then started getting really serious about it here a couple of years ago. Picked up the uh, Hoyt RX4 and uh, been in love with it. And so I've been hunting straight now for I don't know 15, 16 years, uh, almost all in Indiana. I went up to uh, North Dakota for the first time out of state nice. uh, this past season. Yeah. It was tough. It was 80 degrees and nothing was moving. <laughs> what, did you go in September for that trip? Yeah, it was the, was it? I think it was like the third week of September when I went up there. All right. Let's, so it was just after velvet. Let's talk a little bit about that because that is a, I wouldn't want to say a dream hunt for me, but it's definitely on the radar. I have a lot of friends that do that North Dakota hunt, especially early on like that. They've been going the past couple of years and some success going. What, what are some, uh, takeaways from that hunting trip that, you know, maybe would help you in the future or, um, new people going or however you see fit to answer that one. I don't know how much help I could provide. <laughs> I went up there one time. I, I had the, the benefit. I, so, um, 
my professional job is I'm an agronomist. Okay. Ground, I work, it's in farming. Essentially, agronomist is you study the plants and environment that they grow in. And so I work with a ton of farmers all across the country. And so I met this, this guy named Chad, and uh, he's up there, north central, uh, North Dakota. He owns like 10,000 acres. But where he's at, it's so like hilly and rocky that he only actually farms about 3,000. The rest of it's all like pasture ground and stuff that he rents out to cattle and whatnot. And so I got the privilege of like, you know, that's a lot of acreage. Like, yep. no problem. I should be able to go up there and hunt that. And so he kind of gave me some clues of what to do. And I mean, it's just rolling hills are just wide open. Yeah. And so you're out there glassing for miles in the morning trying to find them while they're on their feet feeding and then watch them go into most of the time it's in the cattail sloughs. And so you find them in the cattail sloughs and you best guess of what pothole he's in, um, from an app and then wait from the bed down and then you go and find those, those potholes and you try and stalk them in those, in those cattails. And, uh, it's tough, man. I mean, you think about how jittery whitetails are and trying to, spot and stalk them in an open country it's it was tough i tell you you know if i had a mule deer tag which i'd applied for and, and didn't get and didn't draw for i mean i could have tagged out a, a really nice mule deer on like day two nice. like they're so much easier uh <laughs> to get close to up there and i think he's he's in an area if you look on like north dakota's um uh, dnr where they show you like the, the range of animals because they got like moose and all kinds of animals up there and, um, uh, so they show you all these different ranges. And if you look where the mule deer range is, it's not even on where he's at. Right. And so I think it's kind of like a hidden gem. So I'm saying that it's probably cause they don't have the hunting pressure is why they're a little bit easier. But, um, so yeah, it, it's, it was a lot of bouncing between holes and then what he was calling buck brush. And so it almost looked like, almost like sagebrush. Um, and it would be on like hillsides and then they'd go and bed down in that brush and then you would try and, you know, stalk in up on them mm -hmm. and yeah, whitetail doing that was tough. That sounds I, uh, fun though. I got in on a couple does. Um, I thought the, the, I seen a buck and I thought he was in with these does. He ended up must slipping out somewhere else by the time I got out there. Um, and then. I was there for six days. So I gave it a go for four days. And then I found some public ground that was like 45 minutes around that was actually along a river. So there's a lot of river bottoms and cattails and, and whatnot with it being so hot. It was, it was like 80 degrees when I was up there, 75, 80 degrees. Yep. And, and so I found this public ground and, you know, of course, natural last, last day, no, it was, yeah, it was day five or six. Those last, last full day I was there, I went out there and, um, because it was so hot, they didn't come out until after dark. And, but when they came out, man, they came out in droves out of these river bottoms in these cattails. I mean, it was like 40 whitetails. Yeah. I mean, just all coming out and they were, and the way I positioned myself was in a, this gully with some trees and it was, I was between the sloughs halfway up a hill and I had a, um, a falfa field behind me that was private. And so I was trying to catch them on the way there and 
plan would have worked perfectly if it wasn't 80 degrees and it would came out a little bit sooner, but they came out so late, it was too dark. And by that point it was just too late. So yeah, yeah it was, it was tough. Were they bedding down there just because of being in the shade and being close to, it was cooler down there with the water and everything. Uh, yeah, I would say it's just the best cover. I yeah. mean, they slip in those, those reeds and they just completely disappear. Well, I think that's the hardest part about doing that spot and stock hunting mm-hmm. is when you're so used to the whitetail woods. I know when we went out to Utah that, you know, we're so used to getting in tight, you know, in the mornings and the evening, that's where we're kind of, kind of set up for, for the hunt. And then that kind of that sitting there and glassing from afar and kind of the patience game of trying <laughs> to find the bed. And then, then you're on the move most of the day of that spot and stock. It's just so different, right? Yeah. Whether you're doing whitetail, mule deer, elk, you know, it's, it's a different ball game. And especially your first time out there, you know, you kind of do all your homework, you, you watch videos, you've talked to people, listen to podcasts and you get out there and it's, it's almost like when you bring that baby home for the first time, you set it, you set it down and you're like, now what do I do? Right. Yep, and it's yep. just so, it's just so different. And, you know, I, I think if I went out there a second time, third time, I think, you know, it would, it would get a, not, I wouldn't say easier, but you would feel like you know what you're doing yeah. a little bit more than just kind of yeah. running around with a chicken with its head cut off. Yeah, exactly. And not in your, well, you, at times I was going to say in your, uh, <laughs> in your underwear <laughs> running out there that buck <laughs> oh man no and that's the thing like because i was what i was getting at too earlier kyle when we were talking about the hey what would, what advice would you give and stuff i was gonna say if jim was still on he might still be on right now uh if you would have asked us about delaware it's probably don't go there um there's no bucks there but now we know there's some really nice bucks there but at the same time it, it's tough hunting it's different like we like now, I I've, I was replaying even some of our hunts out to Delaware in the back of my head of like, man, I should have just got down on the ground and just spot and stalked a couple of these deer. I just think if I would have done something like that, it would just would have been one, a different style hunt, more fun. And you got eyes on them, like, just get down. I could have cut them off and had a cool, I don't know, ground shot opportunity on does. I mean, shoot, you get like nine doe tags with your license there. <laughs> yeah. But mule deer, man, um, I can't wait to draw a tag and, and go up there. I was, uh, was this, you ever, I don't know if, how familiar you are with North Dakota, but, uh, you know, if it's not posted, you can go on the ground, right? Okay. And so they also, so there's that. And then there's also uh, plots ground. I forget the acronym. It's like public or private land, open something. I forget what the T and the S stands for. Um, but essentially it's private ground but they have to forget it's like i don't know it's like it's like private ground that they act like public okay it's kind of kind of hard to describe i would have to look it up but essentially it's open to anyone you can't you can't you know it's all on foot you can't rock you can't take any uh vehicles out there or anything like that and so this was like across from where my buddy's property was there was this giant hill so i went and sat on top of this hill first thing in the morning I was glassing and there was this mule deer I don't know he was probably uh just a four by four um no monster but it was big enough to get me excited and uh and he was like on the next hill over just like staring at me I'm sitting there on top of this like little rock pile I'm glassing I'm looking you know way past him and 
he just sat there for like 30 minutes staring at me. Right. And he kind of finally moseyed over the hill. I walked to the, to the next hill where he was at. And then he was at the bottom of the hill, like 30 yards away, just like staring at me, not so running away or anything. Was this your first time out there? You said, yeah, 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 that's my first time. How was, uh, the pre-scouting and, you know, did you get any boots on the ground or were you just all e-scouting for that? Uh, so I had the benefit of being up there during the summer, uh, for work. Okay. And I would, um, so I'd fly up to, to Minot and then I'd travel all the way through to South Dakota. And so I kind of knew the lay of where I was going to be, but my, pretty much pointed at me. He'd be, he, he, we'd go to a parking spot and he'd just kind of point out all these areas where he's seen deer in the past or he knows they've been down and he'd just basically tell me to go get after it and he'd get to work for the day and, and whatnot. So I had the benefit of, you know, like I said, he owned 10,000 acres and he had, and he was buddies with all of his neighbors that yeah. they didn't care. I was out there wandering around. So man, that's really helpful. I was spoiled with yeah. that aspect. Yeah, man, that's really, really helpful. Because, I mean, the reason why, too, I asked, like, that's this time frame now. A lot of people are, you know, figuring out where they want to hunt next year. And I know, like, here in, on Thursday is the deadline for Utah, which will be March 3rd. So, obviously, when this airs, will be past that. So, uh, you know, if people want to try to put in for Utah, that's that's the deadline as far as that goes. And I've just... I think even now when we had that meeting with Tim two years ago, Dimitri, was it two years now? Yeah. Two yeah. Years. Two years ago, like we met in January and just pulled up some maps and figured out what units we'd be able to get into and e-scouted a little bit and just put in for our best odds, I guess. But, uh, you know, so people are doing that now. And I think it, I, the best you could do is obviously try to get out there to beforehand just to see the lay of the land, because I think that would have changed a lot for us. But at the same time, uh, you know, Kyle, you had the luxury of being able to go out there for work and, and do for a, a two for one there work and scout a little bit. Yeah, I will say I did scout on the fly for that public ground because I didn't even look at public ground because I figured I, I should have plenty of opportunity at my buddy's place and I just couldn't make it happen. And so I just was wanted to try something new and see if I could change up my luck. And um, so I just scouted this public ground and just kind of went on the fly and um, you know, lucky enough, I had seen an alfalfa field and then this kind of little bit of an open grassy area that fed into some cattails and then some windy river bottoms. And I was like that right that that time of year, that green alfalfa is like cracked to them. True. And so I was like, I got to get over there. Like that's got to be where the deer are hanging. Nice. And uh, they were. I just needed more time to make it happen. <laughs> Usually how it goes. But, yeah. So, and the good thing about alfalfa is, you know, they keep it in rotation for several years before they take it out. And so you can pretty well bank on it being there for, for at least probably about four years. Now, was that whitetail tag over the counter or was that a draw unit as well? So it was, whitetail is over the counter. That's good to know. Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, so you can, so a tag that I applied for was an any buck tag, and that's what allows you to get a mule deer, and they only give out like 700 and some uh, for out-of-staters, and that's the only way you can get a mule deer tag, that I'm aware of anyways. Okay. Nice. Yeah, I'd, 
our obviously when Tim we would talk to Tim and Tim would say, Yeah, man, I said, What do you like hunting more, elk or mule deer? And I think he always said he said mule deer. Uh I I guess just because we've never gone for elk, I can't really say what I would prefer, but when I start seeing photos and watching certain people on mule deer hunts, I get the bug to be want to go out there again. And I, I won't make the same mistake. I'm definitely going to get a doe tag of some sort, just even if it's an extra 300, 400 bucks, just because I mean, Holy cow. We saw tons when we were out there. Yeah. I mean, I probably, probably had a dozen within range easily, easily, you know, I mean, whitetail range, probably 40 and in. Yeah. Just, just to me, I mean, we saw, we how many, we got tons of emails too of saying, Hey, draw for, you know, pull this doe tag or whatever it was. And we we're like, ah, well, we even got that email about the, the cow elk Yeah, and we didn't do it. And the first, first morning we, we, our first sit was a bust of glassing. We got in the truck to, to move and, and within what, 20 minutes of driving, we yeah, saw a herd, a herd of, of cow, cow elk on BLM land, which we could hunt. Yeah. So, yeah. Don't make our mistakes, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, that's what we're here for. Yeah. Is just tell everyone we're mistakes <laughs> and that which makes them a better hunter, not to tell them what yeah. to do. Yeah. They don't listen to us. They listen to kinds of like you and everybody else. That's yeah. That's usually how it is. Yeah, well, I mean, part of my prep, I mean, just start to listen to any and every podcast that you can think of. That's watching videos on YouTube, just trying to soak up any little nugget that you possibly can, but nothing's going to replace the experience. Oh, man, that's that's good stuff. Now, how was Indiana this year for you for Whitetail? <laughs> uh, so this year was just in general, it was not good for me. Uh, not that I didn't see deer, so... Uh, years i did not get a deer i'll i usually get at least a buck or a doe or both in the same year um I, so you know i'd love the meat obviously and so you know if i don't get a buck I, you know of course you're always bummed but as long as i can get a doe i'm usually really happy about that and you know good to carry me through for the next year and uh, this year i didn't get either one um it was uh i don't I think this is probably a record year for the amount of like spikes and four pointers that I had seen. I I knew what I had on camera and I don't run a ton of cameras. I you know, just like one or two cameras and I see what's out there and I kind of put a, self, my, a limit on myself to shoot anything that's two and a half or older. And uh, I seen a ton of year and a half, like little spikes, little forks this year. I've probably seen a dozen of them between the, the two different pieces of property I have permission on. And, uh, and then I'm not gonna, not gonna lie. Uh, good old buck fever did get me. Um, it was, uh, man, it was in the gun season. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I think it was the second weekend of gun season. I had a really nice buck come in. So second week of gun season, in Indiana is the, what is that? The third weekend of November. And so we're getting towards the tail end of the rut and I had a really nice one come in. I think he was, it was at least a 10 point. Uh, I don't, didn't run any cameras on this property. Uh, so I had no history with the bucks moving around and he would have been bigger than the last one that I got last, last year, which was a 120 some inch, uh, eight point. And I think I had seen this one last year and jumped it up. 
and so I was thinking he'd be at least the same size, maybe a little bigger. But he came in broadside, and the only thing I could think of was I had an iron fist on my bone and totally pulled my shot because I shot right in front of him. Oh. Like dead square where the vitals would have been, but like two foot in front of him. I was so bummed, so <laughs> bummed. But it, I'm not going to lie, man. That was all buck fever because it was a chip shot. It was it was like 28 yards. Yeah. Hey, man, it happens to us. I mean, it happens to me every year. <laughs> well, and I think, too, if you're having a rough year, as that season goes on and on and oh, on yeah. and, and you're not able to make things happen, it, that pressure just builds on your shoulders. And then finally you get that chance, and instead of kind of coming down and say, hey, it's finally here, mentally a lot of us aren't prepared for that. And then it's just like blackout, you know, punch yeah. the trigger, shot's gone, you know, miss, run away. If anybody knows anybody that would really be an awesome, like, guest or just someone to just talk about that with, I would love to, to do that just because, like, Kyle, what did, you know, you you do some, some great work, uh, you know, for your job and for what you're doing. And, Dimitri, you know, we played sports. And, Kyle, I'm assuming that you played sports growing up. Like, we've been in some tough situations in our life, and we just do it. But – when it comes to deer hunting, we just black out. Like people just totally just, you know, uh, I mean, there's videos online on YouTube that you could literally search and just put, I blacked out on shooting my buck or whatever. And, and it just happens. It don't matter. Male, female, it, you know, I don't know. It's just crazy. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I wrestled for 12 years, basically since first grade all the way through senior year. But yeah, I don't know what it is. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, so, so you've been through Even, some some tough things in your life of, of your nutrition, your diet, and and wrestling, and you know, getting beat up and beaten. Get, you know what I mean? Like, you've been in that situation. It's just something about buck fever that just totally. There's nothing like it. You know what I mean? Like, I just I don't know. Like, well, and I think how do you mimic it too, right? In practice, yeah. yeah. Because I don't, I don't, I don't personally agree with like get your heart rate elevated. Mm-hmm like by running and like, that's just a different feel. Like, yes, your heart rate's elevated, but at the same time, I, I, you're not blacking out. Do you know what I mean? Like you're just huffing and puffing and might have to hold it. I mean, I guess it's, it's resembling it a little bit. I, I mean, you know, I don't know. What do you think, Kyle? Yeah. I don't know. Probably go ask. Of course, they're probably got, ice in their veins but someone in you know special forces or yeah. you know in military in general not, not just even the special forces you yeah. know they, who's been in combat maybe they could have some experience you know <laughs> not that that's a good experience to have but you know it's experience that they had in their lives that you know could have maybe settled that that buck fear that nerve yeah you know that gets you yeah, Joel Turner does that shot IQ stuff, and it just looks awesome. I love reading his posts that he does. If if anybody's listening and you struggle with target panic and everything like that, obviously I had a lot of help from from Jim uh, and our buddy Paul and stuff like that. Just and like Dimitri's helped me out a ton with it and just little things. But at the same time, I love reading the things that he's put out that Joel Turner on his shot IQ page. Just because I mean his son Brody just won a lot of like what he went Vegas and Lancaster just complete stud. And he's in like high school or he had 15. Yeah. Yeah. Just what 
I think it was 14th in Lancaster and turned 15 at Vegas. Insane. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just totally lights out. Two big, you know, two big stages and just pink, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I could, could you imagine being like that grown ass man that this is what you do for a living and this 15 year old just like <laughs> murks you? Well, then you talk about like Levi Morgan. Is it, is it the fact that he's been in so many competitions and 3D and uh, indoor that, he has ice in his veins because he's been in those high pressure and then he gets out in the woods and it's, you know, not a chip shot, but I mean, it's a little different situation or is it that he's had so much experience hunting where, you know, he can go through the process a little bit easier and kind of calm his nerves and, and not black out. Right. So, you know, it's just an interesting conversation. It's, you know, what is it that you need to do to kind of achieve that level of being in the moment and going through that process and slowing down, especially when, you know, because you hear about it all the time, slow down, be in the moment. Yeah. But I mean, these situations are so fast, right? And when you, when you try to do that, when you're out, out in your yard, I mean, you have, you know, seconds to, you know, a lot more time to go through that step by step by step. And we all know when it's hunting, it's like do or die, right? Like this is my shot. And then, you know, so how does that translate into a faster speed of going through that? Then you can practice at home. And I think that's where the bigger conversation with a lot of these people are of how you replicate that in that instance. Yeah. I would even say too, like to build on that, Kyle, I would like to hear what your input is. I've always been a big proponent of, like if for anybody starting out or people that just have not killed a ton of deer, I mean, shoot, people kill a ton of deer and I still think use this approach just like, like not necessarily shoot anything, but if you are just starting out, like don't hold out for just a buck, you know what I mean? Or, or I, I encourage you to get that situation so that when that buck comes like, okay, I, ha- I have shot, killed a doe before or whatever. Like it, I, yes, it's different because the, the bone on top of the head, of getting that little bit of rush, but I'm, I mean, like what we talked about last week, you know, we just, well, it's going to air this week coming up that, you know, if you've, you already have listened to it, but I mean, that first time when early in the year, when you kill that doe, it just takes a lot of pressure off. You're like, okay, you know what I mean? It's just like any type of good momentum, you know, good feeling of, you know, your expectation then is like, okay, I could do this. Let's get it going. You know, that's, that's my biggest thing. I always just encourage people just starting out, you know, don't be, don't be shy to, to let it rip. Yeah. I, uh, one thing for me that I, you know, I, I, I try to use the experience and think about that throughout the year. And then when I get into situations, like I just kind of like run things through my head, be like, all right, you let this happen to you the last time, like, and that was the outcome. Yep. And you can't let that happen. I had, um, man, it was like my first or second year back in the bow hunting. I had, uh, just, uh, I don't know. I think it was like an eight point or something like that come in and, uh, I shot, shot him. I pulled and I hit him kind of in front of the shoulder. And so I didn't get, I had decent penetration. I think my arrow snapped off, um, and, and probably of a 28, 29 inch arrow, I probably had, oh, probably eight inches that didn't go in them and I lost him. I tracked him for 
24 hours. I was going down gravel roads. I was watching little drops of blood where he'd go across the gravel road and then he'd come back, go across again. And man, just that, that ate me up because it was the only deer that I shot and lost, uh, thankfully. And I still have that, the fletchings of that, that, that last six, eight inches of the air that snapped off. I still have, and I keep it on my workbench. That's a reminder practice, mm-hmm. you know, don't pull your shots, you know, and things like that. So this experience where I miss a buck this year, like I'm knowing I have that in the back of my head when next opportunity comes to, all right, you're just going to have to men- mentally calm yourself down because you know what happens when you don't. Yeah. And I mean, that, everyone's different, but that's just kind of how I, how I use it. You know, I take those experiences as fuel. I would, I would say you committed though to bettering yourself. And this is like, you committed to that belief. And I kind of just for a personal reference, I remember a couple years ago, the year like 2019 uh, with the last bow buck that I shot, I remember the year prior I had, I was like two years in a row of missing good, nice quality bucks with the bow. And it's just stupid mistakes. It was just buck fever. And I just remember that summer, I really committed to shooting a lot in the summer like normal but then also from that elevated and running through the cues and trying to slow down my process and i just remember uh man half a dozen times of climbing up a a tree getting situated and taking my time like okay this shot is the only shot you get because this is that one chance you know just really kind of quote unquote putting that pressure on myself and doing that a little bit and you know when that heat of the moment came when it was early in the morning. I got set up. I thought I blew something out and the dip buck came back and man, I, I rested on uh, the pin on behind the shoulder and I took a deep breath and boom, you know, the, the break happened and it was that typical surprise shot. But at the same time, I, I went through my steps. It was okay. Anchor, you know, I just, you know, pin bubble, whatever. Like I just, I had my cues at the time. And, but the other thing that I was always forgetting was bend at the waist like I was just always just boom and then dropping my arm just, you know, just because of just being in that heat of the moment, like Dimitri, you were saying earlier, you just rush and I just went through it. So it just naturally happened and perfect heart shot and a deer went 60 yards and piled up and, you know, not saying that I got away from that, but you know, other bad habits crept in and over the last year and worked myself out of them and getting better and better and learning. And, you know, you got to commit to that, to that, like, commitment basically i know it sounds weird like you got to commit to the commitment but a lot of people say hey i'm gonna do a diet i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do that you know i think if you commit to that and believe in it then well that's when good things happen yeah well i would say i'm gonna commit to shooting a doe early and i think (laughs) (laughs) then i don't see any so then it it gets to november and i'm still Deerless, and then that gets a little more difficult. Yeah. Just go in there, just <laughs> ah, if I see whatever I'm shooting. Yeah, I, usually, uh, usually I'll shoot a doe early, and uh, I blame Tony Peterson. Uh, I was listening to the, that phenomenal series that he put on this year. That was just kind of week by week, you just walk you through the the season. Yep. I mean, excellent information. That was awesome. Every time it hit, I was listening to it right away. And uh, <laughs> there was one of them, he was talking about how he was, I don't know, I think it was Wisconsin or Minnesota, he was hunting, and 
he was talking about how he had seen this doe come up this trail and it was almost like a regular cadence of this doe coming up this trail. And he's like, yeah, I could have shot her early, but when it came to the heat of the season, you know, that doe brought in a buck and he was able to get a really nice buck off that doe. And he's, so the moral of the story was not to shoot does early. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to try that this year. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, man. It, for us here in PA, I was, I've been talking to a couple people. It's just in the area that we hunted, it just, we didn't have kind of the numbers like we had two years ago. I mean, just things changed and food changed and uh, pressure a little bit. And it's, that's the beauty of hunting, I guess, you know what I mean? And just get you ready for next year to challenge yourself to one, find new areas or two to, you know, giddy up and do better. Embrace to suck, you know? I had a uh, pretty good, pretty good encounter. I, uh, so this property, it's like 45 minutes from my house. I've been hunting it for probably 10, 12 years now. Farmer, I love it because uh, he hates deer. He wants them all dead. And so he has no problem with me hunting his property. And tell him, say, a, say, hey, I got two PA boys that want to come out to help uh, <laughs> do some damage. We'll drive out to Indiana. Yeah. And so I had this one tree stand up. It was like one of those typical cheap Menard ones that I got for like 40 bucks, you yeah. know, after season. And uh, I had this one tree. It's like this, I forget what kind of tree it was. It was dead. Top was blown off. But the thing was massive, like. You could barely throw a strap around it and catch it, just how big this tree was. Um, I had to get, like, a longer strap than your typical ones that come with the tree stands to get it to work. And the tree was always solid, even though it was completely dead. And so I didn't I, – that was the one tree stand that I didn't check because I only hunt it when there's, a, like, a particular wind, and it's a pretty rare uh, wind um, that I hunt it. And so in the morning I went out there, I couldn't find it. Lo and behold, the tree fell over. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, I can't hunt anywhere else. It's already getting daylight. I don't have any other tree stands that fit. This is where uh, my other frustration came into where I realized I need to start saddle hunting. And uh, so I, I, this tree was massive. So I was like, you know what? I'll just park my butt behind it. I hunt off the ground quite a bit when um, – I got all set up some like natural ground blinds in some areas, uh, and I'll just hunt from that. And I've had really good luck with it over the years. And so I was like, you know what, screw it, I'll just do that. And so I sat there and I was grunting. Heard this one buck grunt, and I was like, all right, you know, something's coming in. I couldn't see it, and because I'm on the ground and it's pretty thick, and all of a sudden I had to see this like tree that's probably I don't know, maybe I don't know, probably six inches around in, in circumference, just shake and this this buck was beating the crap out of this tree man i was like oh man here comes a big boy and here comes this little six point man and he was ticked that another buck in there and he came like 10 yards away but you know going back to i was holding myself to a standard um and he was like a six came by you know mr bruiser yeah owning the woods at least he thought he did and so I, I let them pass, but man, I never had experience like that where one came in so pissed off and, and just wrecked a tree right before coming in front of me. That was pretty cool. That is cool. So moral of, of 2021, just young bucks. What, any other last takeaways to, to wrap up your, your season this past year? Young bucks and young does. Yeah. Um, I mean, not saying that they weren't out there. It just, just never worked in my favor. 
So what sort of things are you doing now to kind of prepare for the 2022 season? You know, a lot of people are getting into shed hunting and, you know, putting trying to put boots on the ground. Is there anything different that you're doing on the properties you hunt uh, to try to gain some inventory or kind of learn new ground moving into this season? Uh, so goal number one is I need to, so the, I, uh, built my house here. I, I bought five acres like five, six years ago and four of it's wooded. So the front acre is where I built my house. And so it's like a really long and narrow piece. And so it's really challenging to hunt just because it doesn't hold deer. It's really, it's really narrow. Um, and so you gotta try and get them to move through the property, which can be a challenge just the way everything's laid out. So I asked the on the other side, one side of me, the west side, someone hunts over there. And so on the east side, I tried to get permission. The guy, um, he was nice, but he just didn't. He said I could retrieve deer and, and whatnot and shed hunt, but not, uh, not hunt anything. So that was unfortunate. And so my goal is that the last remaining bordering piece of property is to the north of me. And it's got like a 15, 20-acre woods on there. And then it's got some ag and uh there's plenty of deer that that bed and, and stay inside that woods um and so that's my goal for next year is to try to get permission off of that piece uh for hunting because <clears throat> i'll i'll sit in the very corner of my property and i'll just watch them all day long over there <laughs> so <laughs> you put that torture on yourself man yeah yeah it uh just for hopes that something might travel through but, uh, yeah, so that, that's a priority. Um, the other one is I love shit on. Um, so my kids love it. So I've got an eight year old and a five year old. And, uh, now that they, you know, every year they get a little more, um, endurance in them for shit on. So, uh, looking forward <laughs> to getting out. We haven't been out yet just cause we've been getting, um, yeah, the last couple of weeks it was like, we'd get like five, six inches. We had like, 12 inches and it always come in on like a Thursday, like a Wednesday, Thursday. And so then it always snow and then cover the ground. And so it's like, well, I'm not going to go shed hunting something, you know, it's covering all the antlers. So, uh, finally here today we had 50 degree days and, uh, hopefully this next weekend, uh, we'll be able to get out the kids and go out and shed hunt. So they love it. They love finding the antlers. Um, so that's, that's the next thing. Um, and then I would say really prep for next year is get my butt into a saddle, be mobile because I can't afford to put all the tree stands where I want them. Uh, cause that would get so expensive. So I think I'm going to invest in a saddle and stick set up and, and, uh, run that. I would even say like, just listening to you talk about your kind of like the properties that you have the opportunity to hunt around and with some of the farms and then your four acres. I mean, man, I, I would tell you what, if you could even just get a couple screw in steps on a few prep trees that you could climb halfway up and only just need to carry in one or two sticks to kind of build off of that, just to get your, this, like your height for your cover, man, I, I think that would even help you out a ton. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good idea. That way you're, I mean, cause you're still setting up, but you're, you know, if you minus one or two sticks, that just would be helpful. I mean, heck, even if you just throw in four or five of the screw in steps just to, you know, kind of help prep some areas and that way you kind of know. And then if you need to bounce around, you can. All right. Yeah. Get it to where you can only have to put up two sticks or something. Yep. 
Yep. Because yeah. I'm because that's even honestly, I'll tell you what, Kyle. That's where I'm leaning leaning towards. Like when I head back home, just at the hunt up in Northeast PA, just because there's certain areas that hopefully when the next two weekends that I'll be able to go in for like a morning just to go in and walk around up there and check some new spots out on the top. I'm like, I'm going to mark some trees where I might just, again, just bring a couple sticks or, or screwing steps like four, just that way, just to help me get up a little bit one higher, but then two, just to, you know, if I could get those four and screw ins and throw my aider on with the Skeletor and another like do the same thing that's all i need and i think that would just help me prep some trees in the areas and kind of know exactly somewhere where the sign was fresh or you know as long as then if this year's sign kind of relates to next year's sign and, and you know you're in the area then you know pick that right tree would be helpful instead of trying to figure out oh, dang i should be in that one you know yeah i would say uh another thing too that i've been noticing is that I got a lot of those cheap stands and um, they're just not tall enough. You know, 16 foot is, it's not tall enough. I get busted a lot and they won't, they'll come in. It, it's not sent because my wind will be right. in, And they'll just like, look up at me. <laughs> just like, and so I, I, that's another thing. I, I got busted a lot this year, just visually, not even smell. And usually it's the smell that they, that they always bust you on. And, um, so I think getting, getting up higher, at least, you know, 20 feet or something like that, a visual plane. I mean, there's always, you know, you talk about you guys up in Michigan, like deer walk around looking up, uh, <laughs> they don't quite do that here, but you get busted visually pretty easy. Yeah. We get that a lot in Pennsylvania too. Yeah. <laughs> but I even think about the saddle. I mean, we talk about it all the time. The benefits is, you know, you were talking about thing that you lost is bending at the waist for a lot of your shots, mm -hmm. which I think is a lot easier yeah. to get that correct angle of the shot with the saddle because you are able to bend your knees. You're a little more mobile. You have that support at your core, whereas in a tree stand, you're the same standing on the ground but you need that severe bend at the waist yeah. to get that correct angle to not mess up your shot. So I think the saddle benefits you a little bit more of getting that correct angle, which is a little bit easier than if you were in a normal tree stand. Yeah, so 100%. I just found that out to be a lot easier for me. Like I said, it takes, a, I would say, a little bit more core strength, but you're not at such an awkward angle at that bend at the waist than you are in a normal tree stand, um, which feels more comfortable when you're shooting. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more with you, Dimitri. That's, you know, again, just talking about what do people, when they ask me or whoever, and I hear people talk about like, what are some tips and tricks and all that type of stuff. And I just say, listen, obviously the comfort level, but I find shooting out of it a heck of a lot easier. And I, I always go back to the, Hey, for two, three years in a row, I was the king of just messing up my buckshot. And, you know, and now this being moved into the saddle, I just, you know, had every opportunity. I've been successful. I've been lucky enough for that situation. And I just, I, I, I do, I find it very easy. It's almost like a natural, like Dimitri just said, bending at the waist and you're on, on that angle. And yeah, you, you got to do certain exercises to build that core strength. And 
I always like to say you don't have to be fit, like ripped and jacked to be in saddle shape, but you know, it is, you're, you're in a different, you know, putting different pressure on different parts of your body that you're not used to doing. Uh, but I'll tell you what, Kyle, if this is going to be your first time, man, you just find what you find comfortable and, you know, find your specific dial it into your specific needs, man. And, you know, practice a couple times at ground level and work your way up and shoot and you do that a couple times, man, you'll, you'll be golden. Yeah. I, got, I do got a question about, um, what about if you have a herniated disc? Cause I've, it's, I've had it for like 10 years now. Mm-hmm. I've had a herniated disc in my lower back and that's always one thing that I kind of thought about. Now I've taken some steps through stretches and exercises to mitigate the, the pain. And I, I generally don't have as much issues unless I lift long wrong, you know, one day or one morning or something like that. But, um, that was one question I always had with the saddle hunting is how is that for a guy who's got a problem like that? Dude, honestly, what's kind of cool that you bring that up and it's unfortunate that you have that. There was a guy over at the PA outdoor show came and I was working with, uh, he was a young kid, you know, maybe in his mid twenties and he was there with his dad and he had, the kid had an old, uh, trophy line. And he's like, I'm just looking to upgrade and try this. And I got him in and I got him situated. He's like, okay, this is what I want. Got him squared away. And he's like, dad, I'm telling you, you need to try this. And his dad was, you know, probably five, six, five, seven around my height. And, um, you know, he's an older guy and he used to climb trees for a living. And he's like, I, I got, he got something done on his back a couple of years ago. And he's like, I can't do it because of it. And I said, well, we're here, man. Why don't you just get in? He got in the Phantom XL. It just cupped him better in, in his area in the XL version. And he got in it, Kyle, and he was like, holy cow. I thought I was going to feel like immediate pressure on his back and in his hips. And he did not. He's like, this thing is super comfortable. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I was like the uh, the wham, the wham towel guy for commercials like but wait there's more <laughs> you know it's like <laughs> i was like let's put on this back band i was like all right man like because he was even saying he's like i usually only go out for a couple hours i don't really do all sits anymore and i said all right well let's say you're towards you know a four or five hour hunt right and you're towards the end here i said let's whip out this back band and the beauty of some of these back bands i'm actually going to be having an article and a little video kind of series on a bunch of different accessories for go wild um the the back band the mvp kind of molds to your back from tethered better than the original kind of mantis back band because it's the same material as the phantom so it has that mesh to it and you're able to make it like the a two panel if you want the way some of the clips are on it now the other one is super comfortable it's it's actually a little bit lighter but it's made out of different material so it doesn't mold to your back however with both back bands you are able to locate that in whatever position you want and that's where if you do have any little pressure uh it it eliminates that so once i did that to him he was like holy cow this is amazing so honestly kyle i would think like for you that's you know that would be kind of another little piece of of gear to definitely get for sure just because you know if you are a leaner i mean the good news is this you could lean you could sit you could turn to the side I don't see it really being that big of a, of a problem for you at all. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I said, it, it, my back is, I've gotten it to where it's a lot better. Like yeah. before it used to be like three hours and I got to get out. Yeah. Uh, but now just through 
like I said, exercising and stretching and all that good stuff. I've, I've really helped it along to where I generally don't have any issues this past season. I get, I did all day sits and, you know, I was fine. You know, a lot of times in the past I'd sit and it was kind of a combination of, you know, just being cold and just having that stress in my lower back from sitting there, not moving and just being cold. Um, you know, that would, that would do it as well. Just tighten everything up and put pressure on that disc. Um, but this past year, I didn't have as many issues, but well, that's that's encouraging to hear that. Yeah, no, I I definitely would think, and also uh, I know Dimitri's accepting virtual clients for <laughs> physical therapy. Well, you know, and I the one point I would make is is I talked about this on on our wrap up of the season is in the saddle. I feel like it is a lot easier to go through some of those stretches and exercises that make you uncomfortable in the in, in the tree stand right you know I've talked about you know you can do like cat camel and you can do some um, you know like a simulated child's pose or mini squats and you know different exercises that's going to kind of mobilize that lumbar spine a little bit um, in the saddle which is a lot easier to do because you're kind of supported at that core area where in a tree stand it would be a lot more difficult a lot more movement taking place in that um, you know because I had only one all day sit in the saddle which I would say I got a little bit uncomfortable in that I didn't have the back support um, but I was able to do a lot of those things throughout the day um, especially when there wasn't a lot of movement taking place around me um, to make it a little bit more comfortable right yeah that makes sense especially if, like where you can position yourself with your the tree in between you you know how you're supposed to with saddle hunting you and where you at least think they're going to pop out at and yep. be moving through the woods or whatever and having that to kind of block that movement. That makes sense. Yeah. It's huge. I mean, that's the thing that was like another selling point. Like I would tell people is, you know, as if it's a deer, you know, for sure you are not going to shoot and it's going to kind of work its way around certain areas around you that could pick you off. You just move around the tree, you know, it just, it just helps eliminate, man. I, I know I'm just, a I, it's going to be hard. I, I, I don't see myself ever, ever going back. And plus two, the people at Tether just been amazing and very supportive about everything. Just good people all the way around and make great products. So it's, it's an easy win-win situation for, for that. And I mean, before it, we kind of even did anything together, I was a believer out of it. So it's just kind of one of those things where you just practice, man, you get better and, uh, you get your setup dialed to, to what you specifically need. And there's, you know, then you're just going to be micro tuning and fine, fine, making those fine adjustments to it to fit your even better needs than from that point. Yeah. Yeah. I know I said it to you already, but yeah, congratulations on, on working with the Tyler oh, guys. Man, and thank you. I, I gotta <laughs> say, man, I give you props because, uh, you know, you got a day job, you got a, a wife, you got kids, you got an intro antler up and now tethered man, nah, man. how you balance it Whew. yeah it's I, we'll see how i balance it here in the next couple of weeks because i'll tell you what i i got a bunch of great young men to to coach this year they're they're a freaking blast for baseball and things have been going really well they're they're amazing kids and couldn't be more excited for the, to coach them this year and they uh you know between doing that and this and we got just a lot going on a lot of great things going on and uh 
you know, without my, Dimitri, Mike, and obviously with, with Jim, they're, they're the, they're the back support, man. They're what keeps this shit going and have fun with them every day. And Dimitri just, uh, he and I, before you came on Kyle, we'll, we're going to be coming out with a, a couple cool videos that we're excited for and a cool topics that, you know, I don't know. It's some of it has been done, but one topic that I know for sure hasn't been done. And we're, uh, we're just excited, man. We're just, I don't know. I think we found our, our niche, you know, we're just two regular dudes that just <laughs> love talking and hunting and shooting, shooting the crap and hanging out and just meeting cool people. And that share that same kind of passion that we do. And it's, that's easy. You know what I mean? It's, it's not, uh, it's we are, not, we are the average, average Joe's yeah. podcasting. <laughs> it, it's just, man, it's just, it's just fun. And, uh, you know, I mean, relatable, right? Yeah. It's being a fine sheds. Uh, last year it was pretty cool. I, uh, found this little, like tiny little piece of public. It was, it was weird because it, it, there was a, a road and then there was like two bridges it was like one that went over a ditch and then one that used to go over uh, this river by me. And there's like, you had to go, it was this road that they had cement blocked off. Like it, it's overgrown and whatnot. And, you know, they took the bridge out a long time ago. And But back there by the river, there was, I don't know, probably a 30 acre piece of public ground. And so grabbed my boy and, and we had time one Saturday. We, we walked back there. I mean, it was like a mile walk or so. And with a little four-year-old, that's quite a bit, you know? Yep. And so we got back there and I'm so glad this happened. Um, not only was it cool that we got to find a, a matching set, but just to see him like light up after <laughs> getting a mile back in there at four years old and just light up with such joy. And, it, you know, if you guys, I know you talked about the Go Wild app, and if you uh, pop on there, I think it's like one of my most liked pictures on there or something like that from one of my posts. And he just, he just I mean, grinning ear to ear with, you know, these two nice antlers in his hand. And there was a good size rack, too. I forget what it was, like an eight point or something. That's awesome. But that was pretty cool. That's the other, other cool one was, uh, <laughs> so I, you guys remember like right when we had locked down for COVID, and I don't know if I may, hopefully I didn't screw up your podcast analytics by saying that word, but, uh, <laughs> but Dudley, it might Dudley help was doing like this big challenge and he was giving away prizes. Like as you did these challenges. Yeah. So I do like, remember that. Yep. Yeah. Like clean your bow yep. and like yep. practice tie D loops and exercise and cooking and all the things Dudley does. And one of them was to go out and rock. And I was like, well, I don't have like an, a backpack. At the time, I didn't have a backpack that I could put weight in and, like, ruck. And I was like, man, what can I do? So I just went and grabbed a log and threw it on my shoulder. And I just started walking along the, the field edge of the neighboring property. And no joke, I was, like, halfway down this tree line and came across a shed. <laughs> <laughs> just randomly doing Dudley's uh, lockdown thing. That's awesome. I'd, yeah. I'd, I haven't been... My dog's found two. I've found one. That's that's about as good as it gets for me. <laughs> <laughs> that's why that's why when, when we had uh, Dwayne on talking about shed fest and talking about you know give us some tips and tricks and especially in the big woods and and it's tough. Like after I found that one, which was totally, I mean, it was luck. I was just I was wanted to get to a specific area and I just looked down and I saw those. But then I was like, okay, where's the other one? 
So then I like grid searched. I found some really cool bedding. I was telling Dimitri Kyle, he this this deer. I'm assuming because it had like within this canopy of of uh, the pines and stuff that it was under. He had about two beds, and they were about I don't know seven yards apart. But he literally almost had a man. It looked man-made. It wasn't, but it looked man-made of like a teepee in this in this pine. And he had to to the back of him. He had like two big logs, and all he could see is is in front of him. The sides of I know you can't see on the video, but on the side it just came down on like two walls. I'm gonna post it this week because I took a couple of photos just to show it. It was just I my mind was blown. I was just like, dude. This buck or deer just has like the best cover from anything. He could jump out behind him, go through some thick, nasty stuff where he could dip down in front of him and go down some real steep ridges. I mean, it was steep. Um, I wasn't going to bear it because of how icy it was. I would have been, see ya. <laughs> we wouldn't be here right now, to be quite honest. But man, it's it was just fascinating. Like just that moment too. I was like, man. These, like that sucker is just, it's just fascinating. It was just so cool to see, to be quite honest. I mean, I, that, it was really neat. I was jacked up to find the shed, but seeing actually that specific style of bed and not just like a tree on a point, you know what I mean? Like, okay, typical, but I don't know. It was just really neat to see that. But yeah, man, it's shed hunting's fun. I, I, Dimitri and I, I was telling my wife when we were driving home from, uh, from, uh, the, the cabin, I just said these next couple of days or like weekends, we're going to have to make it a point to get out to certain spots and check certain things. But yeah, man, i that was some good stuff. And I want to talk about too, your more innovation. So you also have a little side gig yourself, Kyle. So talk about what, you know, your Instagram page, like what are you running on that? I have the, uh, I have two, two cool pieces made. You made me the, uh, I got the thing for my easy green press. And then what do you call that? Oh, the uh, parts bin. Yeah just a parts yeah bin. yeah just parts bin. yeah really high tech name i was i was not, come on kyle i was like i was like i was trying to tee it up for you like what's this thing called and you're like yeah the parts bin <laughs> no that's good no and that's what's really cool though for people if you are uh man if you have any type of little side gig or your instagram handle or whatever you you're a, you've been doing some 3d printing on those right yeah so i um kind of back it up a little bit so yeah back I initially got, I was actually exposed to CAD or computer-aided design, which you use for, you know, engineering. And all the way back in, like, seventh grade, I think it was, um, I think it might have been an inventor. That was, uh, it was in my woodshop class. We actually 3D modeled this shelf we were going to make in seventh grade prior to actually going out and making it in the shop. And ever since then, I just was, like, super um, fascinated by that and had some classes in high school. I actually took... Uh, two years of engineering at, at Purdue before I switched back to, to ag, which is ultimately my passion in life. And uh, so I always had that, like engineering. I love the, the modeling of, of CAD and all that. And um, it was actually one of my brother's uh, friends in high school. He's an engineer. He's actually got, he was the one that actually got me excited about engineering. And long story is that he got a 3D printer and he was like 3D printing stuff on the side just for like fun and like making little trinkets and stuff. And I was always fascinated by it and just never had the extra cash to buy it. And so finally a year, a little over a year ago, um, I'd gotten, you know, a bonus. We were settled into our house and 
I was like, you know what? I'm finally going to buy a 3D printer. <laughs> and so I bought it and I was just, I just bought it with the intention of just making cool crap for myself. And, and it turned into like, well, I had an idea that would essentially everything I've created is around making something easier for archery, primarily around like building arrows or working on your own stuff. And so like the very first thing I came out with was a glue holder. And so like whenever you're fletching arrows and you put a bottle of glue down and you pick it back up, you got to get the glue back in the tip. And then sometimes there's an air bubble that kind of plops in and kind of makes a little bit of a mess on, on the, on your vein and kind of makes it inconsistent. Well, I was like, well, I've seen it before. It's not a novel. There's other glue stands out there. I was like, I'll just make one. Got a printer. Why not? And so I 3d printed it. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And I started, I like threw it up on Etsy or something like that. And I wasn't getting any sales. And and this is where I'm going to give a huge shout out to, to AJ over at Knights of the Apex. Because yeah. I had done, randomly, I just made one with his logo in it. And I sent him like a couple, like two or something like that. Just like completely random. He had no idea who I was. And he gets it and he, he messaged me on Instagram. He's like, dude, this is awesome, blah, blah, blah. And I think at the time I had the parts bin that, you know, you were referring to earlier and he's like, Hey, could you like custom brand some for me and I'll just sell on my website. And so, uh, because of him, like he obviously has a, you know, much larger following and whatnot. And so he would share my stuff and, and kind of gave me a little bit of exposure and whatnot. And, and it just kind of built from there and I just kind of met people. So like you had reached out and you had, you had an idea, uh, you know, about trying to get something to magnetize on the on the side of your your tool cart, and so I came up with design. You loved it, and now I sell it on the website. And so it's <laughs> it's been it's been it's been really cool because like I'd love to take credit for some things, but really the idea came from someone like you or um, or uh, Bubba with the part timers. I don't know if you know the part timers down in Florida. Okay, like he had an idea. And that's where I came up with the the arrow cradle, which is, you know, you sit on the bench and, you know, you use it for, you could store arrows in it and, or, um, you know, while you're like fletching arrows, you put it in there so they're not rolling around and, and all that stuff. And so really it's, you know, it's ideas I've had. It's been things I've made around some problems or some sort of um, situation that someone came to me with and it's been cool. I'll tell you one thing I really enjoy is the branding. Like, I probably lose money doing the custom branding, but it's just so damn cool uh, <laughs> to, like, make stuff with, like, other people's logos on there. I don't know. Like, Antler Up, like, that thing turned out fantastic. Yeah, it did. The logo for your guys's, um, you know, I put it on that, that what we call the mag cradle, you know, which is, it's a two-piece for listeners. It's, what it is, it's a two-piece um, piece that I printed. And what it is is that it's just, Magnet, I got um, a glue in magnets on it, and it's got basically it's just a thing of it like a, I don't know, like a tray that um, the you know the, the tips of your arrows would go in, and then the, the two piece is a separate piece that goes above it and closer to your fletchings, and so that way it contains it. And it uh, it's just you know, you put it on. You know, you put it on the side of a toolbox, you put it on the side of, uh, you know, a gun case or something like that. And I made one for uh, Kelly, a uh, bow hunter, and I think he put it on, like, the side of this, like, weird 
table or something like that. I'm kind of surprised it worked that there was enough metal for it to stick to. Yeah. I mean, that it worked great. Yeah. I mean, shoot people. If you have like a shed outside that you're shooting next to, like, I mean, to, if you, as long as you're able to put a magnet thing to it, it plastered on, or you, you offer too, like you have a hole. I remember seeing one too, that you made for someone that you people could drill it into a wall or something like that. Even. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> I know we've bouncing it around a little bit here between all the products and I'll try and straighten it out a little bit. So you got the, what I call the mag arrow cradle. So that'd be the magnetic one. And then that was the one we were just talking through. And then the other one, here goes my uh, creativity, right? Uh, the wall arrow cradle. <laughs> so basically all I did was it, I, uh, I made slots in it. And so that way you could get two screws, but they're, vertical in line with each other. And the reason why I did that was because you could put it into a wall stud then if needed, uh, or if you don't have a wall stud or whatever, and you put it in a drywall, you could still get those like little plastic screw in, uh, pieces that you put in the wall. Then you screw, put the actual screw into it. Like you can still fit that in there. Um, but the glory, the, the good thing about it, it's a two piece system. And so like, if you have you know, if you're a longer draw and you get longer arrows, or you're a shorter draw, you get shorter arrows. Like you could, you could put it onto whatever fits your arrow length, and so it's pretty, pretty versatile. And then it's like the front of it. So getting to like the custom branding, the front of it's pretty big and like perfect for uh, a canvas to be able to put logos and stuff in there. And you know, I've, I've done. Um, you, you did know, one for, for you. I've done it. For done an, it for annihilator. Uh, annihilator. Yeah, that one was yeah. sweet. Yeah. Uh, one for um, Cali Bowhunter. Uh, I actually just sent out an order. I'm not going to spoil it because it was he, he ordered it for gifts uh, for some people I know that would probably be listening to this, so I won't uh, spoil that one. But <laughs> um, that one turned out really cool as well. Um, but yeah, the, I would, the, the two products I sell the most of is, is that, uh, the wall version, and then... Uh, just what I call just straight the arrow cradle, which is the one that you put together on, on your uh, bench top. Nice, and man. that one can hold up to five dozen arrows in it too. It's all nice and, and compact. Um, it can hunt, it can hold five dozen hunting arrows and then the, it can hold three dozen of, Oh gosh, whatever the biggest target arrow is. I forget the diameter of it, but I, I just went on to, couple of the arrow manufacturer sites and just looked up the biggest um target archery Probably like 13 millimeters <laughs> yeah and so that way it would be able to fit those as well but only three dozen of those um but yeah between those two things i saw quite a bit um and this <clears throat> to give a little bit of reference to 3d printing you know this isn't something you just push a button and it's done in an hour so like uh the mag arrow cradle that one takes like seven and a half hours to print just one. And then the, uh, the strip, the regular arrow cradle that one takes it. I have to do it in th three separate prints just because I don't have a giant printer, uh, or printers. Mine are a little bit smaller and that one's like a combined total of like 12 hours just to print one. Wow. So yeah, it takes a while, but the good thing is like I work at home, right? And I'll get up in the morning 
and I, I get up early. It's the only time I can work out. So I'm like almost not as good as Jacko, but I'll try and wake up about four 30 or so. And I'll go down there and I'll pull everything that's off the printers and I'll start it. And then usually by like nine 30, 10 o'clock, I go back down there, you know, start it, pull off the part, start it again. And it just takes like a couple minutes out of my day, you know, since I work from home and just to keep those things running. And so I could, I, I've currently just got two printers. I'm probably going to be getting a third one here again shortly. And, uh, but it just works out pretty conveniently for me since I work from home. Sweet, man. Good for you. I mean, I, it, like you said, you do a great job with it. It's fun for you. And I mean, that's, that's the best thing. It's fun. And you're, if you're able to make a little bit of cash, cool, you know, and obviously you're, however you see, uh, some new ideas coming out for things. I mean, you know, I'm sure uh, thumb pegs and all kinds of things could be made for mobile hunting. And I mean, Genesis 3d printing, he does Austin does some stuff. So, you know, not to piggyback off yeah. of him, but I'm sure there's tons of things that, you know, you might be able to be like, ah, oh, I could make something like that. Yeah. I've got a couple of things in the pipeline. I just, between being busy and then keeping up with, you know, the orders I get now, it's not like a, I get a ton of orders, but it's enough to where it keeps me busy and I've slowed down a little bit on, on the new stuff that I've made, but I got a couple ideas in the pipe. One of them was actually one I developed early on. It was probably the second thing I ever made, but it takes like 14 hours just to mm. make one of them. That's crazy. So, I, so I, I've been waiting to put that one out until I, I can uh, build up my, my printer. Uh, my pr- they call it print farm. Yeah. where you can get uh, multiple printers running. Uh, so I'm mean, kind of holding that one off, but that one, I use it all the time. So <laughs> that would be pretty cool. And that's another one that I could easily throw a, a brand on too for, yeah. for guys. Sweet, man. Um, yeah. So some of the other stuff I got, um, so like the parts bin, that was a, a pretty early idea too. And I got, it's just like a, a two tray or a three tray and you know, like for you guys, I did a three tray and then on the center one, it's like, uh, I think each cubby is like two inches by two inches. I forget the exact dimensions of it. And, um, that one I made magnetic. So it's got a magnet under each, each cubby and each magnet, uh, has like an eight pound pole. And so not only does it stick pretty nicely to your, to your press, it also, you know, it holds, um, you know, metal bolts and yep. whatever you put in there nicely, but not too hard to where it's like a pain to like get it out. No, it's perfect. Then, uh, I, I can't speak highly enough. I think that that's probably my favorite thing over on my bow press work area, other than the arrow cradle. <laughs> so yeah, two, two of yeah. my favorite items are things that you made for me. So I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And that thing too, you know, there's like, I'm not going to lie. There's other, other, you know, metal magnetic things that hold parts and stuff that you could buy. But this one I made specifically so it fits the width mm-hmm. of the of the easy green. I'm sure it would work on the other ones that uh, LCA has. Um, but so that way it's not like over it, it's not hanging over the edges. It's it's clean. It's streamlined too, and it just overall looks nicer. Thank you, yeah, man. Cool. Yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully some new stuff like you said will be coming out here soon and. You get some uh, summer orders going for people. Get ready for fall. Yeah, absolutely. 
Sweet, man. Well, Kyle, I appreciate you, man, taking that hour to talk to us, and I appreciate dealing with the the crazy beginning there of figuring out how to get on here right, you know. <laughs> <laughs> nah, man, that, that's good stuff. I, I, I really enjoyed this conversation. So where uh, where could people find you and, and definitely check out your more innovations uh, Instagram and how could people order things and get in touch with you for that? Because I'm telling you, people, if you own anything – that you need. I mean, obviously he's already doing the, all the products that he's talked about, but they, they are, they work They They make it more efficient. The, the mag arrow holder that we were just talking about holds a crap ton of my arrows and it keeps it organized for me. Like the only time when it's unorganized is when I take them out and I just got random arrows laying around. That's what I'm looking at right now. And then like you said, your, your, uh, bow press, you know, holder is just, I don't know. It, it does its job and it keeps things organized for me up there as well. Just great products. If you're in the looking to find some organization tools for it, hit Kyle up. So where could people find that and get a hold of you to order? Yeah. So socials is, uh, you know, just more innovations on Instagram and on go wild. Um, I started a go wild account for more innovations. I haven't been quite a, I started it. I really need to, to work on it. Uh, you can also find my, my personal on there as well. Just Kyle Morrow. Um, those are really the two that I'm most active on. Uh, don't try Facebook. Uh, I think I haven't posted anything on there in years. I just use it for the marketplace. So Instagram go wild and then more, more innovations.com for my, for my website. Awesome, man. Cool. Well, hopefully we'll, uh, we could reconvene over the summer and talk shop and see what's going on. And hopefully, uh, you know, if you're ever out RPA way, hit us up. Yeah, absolutely. I was trying to make, uh, the, the outdoor show happen, but I just, just didn't connect. I think actually, uh, when that was going on, I think I actually got the, the, uh, Chinese plague. So, jeez. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. Well, I'm glad you're uh, all healthy now. Good stuff, man. Well, all right, everybody. Thank you again for uh, coming on live with us on Bullhorn and uh, listening in and all the support. Definitely, please go check out Kyle. Great dude. Had a conversation with him on the phone months back when, when we were coming up with the Arrow Cradle and just knew what a good person he was and down to earth. And glad to finally reconnect and get you on the podcast too. So definitely check out Kyle and more innovations, what he has going on till next time, everybody antler up. And that's a wrap for another episode of the Antler Up podcast. Thank you so much, Kyle, for coming on. I hope you enjoyed this one. And definitely check out Kyle, his more innovations. Great stuff. Appreciate him so much for coming on again. And uh, appreciate you listening. So thank you again. Check us out over at antlerupoutdoors.com. Check out our Facebook, Instagram, our Go Wild, and our YouTube channels. Some cool things coming on down the horizon for this uh, spring, summer, and for next hunting season. Thank you again, everybody. Have a great week. See you next week. Antler up.